Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 120 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook, and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you could donate to it via Patreon. You can give as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you're interested in joining the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. You can find more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends so you'll never miss another episode of the Observer's Notebook. And now, episode 120. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook. We have a special guest today, a first-time visitor to the podcast, uh, Dave Teske. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, now before we get into our topic today, why don't you just give everybody a little background about yourself? I am the ELPO Lunar Topographic Studies and Selected Areas Program Coordinator, been that for about a year and a half. Enjoy doing that. I've made 50, 50, 55 trips around the sun so far. I plan to do quite a few more. That's the going plan. That's good. Presently, I live in Louisville, Mississippi. And I'm a former public school teacher, taught science for about 25 years. That was always interesting. Oh, my. I'm interested in all things astronomy, uh, especially lunar and planetary stuff. I like listening to music. I like to go camping. And in those long ago, pre-COVID days, I did a lot of astronomy outreach. And I look forward to doing that stuff again someday. Oh, don't we all? Don't we all? Now, so you're a retired teacher? Yes, sir. Okay, great. Yeah, my, my wife's a retired teacher as well, elementary Good. school. So Nice, nice, nice. So yes, when did you join the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers? I'd heard about it for a long, long time, for years and years, mm -hmm. but I finally joined in 1993 when I got what I thought was a good planetary telescope 
which was a Unitron three-inch refractor. Oh, there you go. I've been a member of it. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. I thought I lost you for a minute. Okay. So it's 1993, huh? Um, yeah. Okay, good. I um, wonder how long other members, how long people have been members really yeah i joined back in the 70s so i'm, I'm a few years older than you but uh yeah wow. i joined when i was in high school you've been solid through there you've been so, solid all since been a like member ever since since 1973 yeah yep yep never never fell wow, out of it congratulations yeah, yeah. I, I had years when i wasn't very active but now with this podcast and the training program that i run you of know course. it's 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 keeping me keeping me active. So what well going back in time, what sparked your interest in astronomy? Well, I was looking at the notes for this and I came up with a theory that I was born interested in. That's my <laughs> best guess. Uh, I can remember back in first grade or thereabouts, there was a nice conjunction, probably the moon and Venus. This was during the Apollo years, so I figured figured that was a rocket going to the moon. I was hooked by then, mm -hmm. and a couple of years after that was all the Comet Kahoot tech craze ah. kind of fizzled out, but it gave a lot of excitement to astronomy, and I can remember at that time a neighbor of ours lending me a spotting scope and me trying to find things with it. I was third grade or something, but I, I had fun playing with it at least. That's nice. So it was a conjunction probably that got you interested. And Kamika Hotek. Very cool. And oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So your first telescope was was the refractor. Oh well, yeah, I had a a few what you would term junk telescopes. Mm -hmm. But in the summer of 77, I bought a four and a quarter inch Edmund reflector telescope. Oh my. I was between sixth and seventh grade at the time. And I got that 159 bucks or whatever it was by <laughs> mowing lawns. There you go. And so it was a good trade-off. And I, I ended up mowing lawns for years and years after that. Hmm. Paid for college and everything doing that. But it, that telescope turned out to be really a nice little telescope. Now, do you still have I it? I wish they still had them. Oh, you don't. Okay. All right. No. Okay, cool. So uh, going back. Story, it, it actually got it actually got stolen. No. It actually got stolen, and uh, it was finally returned to me a few years later, but I, by then I'd moved on to another telescope. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so go, looking back on your life as an amateur astronomer, is there someone that influenced you most? A bunch of people, actually. Yeah. I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, of okay. all places. Beautiful town. I was big... My family's house was very near the University of Minnesota at Duluth, or UMD. And at UMD, there was a planetarium. And as a child, I went there quite often to the planetarium shows. There, were, I, I remember Sunday afternoons at 2. And uh, my dad would take me, and I was thoroughly interested. He had his nice hour-long nap, and everyone was happy at the end. <laughs> but by the time I was in middle school, the director of the planetarium was a young man named Glenn Langhorst. He was then the director of the planetarium. Okay. He really got me going into astronomy. 
He helped me into solar astronomy, which I'm still doing gung-ho, and also into photography. He was really into that stuff. And uh, as time went on, I graduated high school with all these interests, and I ended up going to the University of Minnesota Duluth, where that planetarium was. Hmm. And he helped me get a job at the, as the assistant director of the planetarium. Oh, my. And basically that meant... Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was doing hundreds of planetarium shows over a few years, mostly for the school kids in the area. Mm -hmm. And this was during the Halley's Comet time period. Oh, popular. So we were busy as can be. Oh, yeah. Even though in the northern part of the country, Halley's Comet was awfully difficult to see. Right. But, of course, it was all over in the news. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, just being in the planetarium business, that actually influenced me to have my major as a science teacher and ultimately teaching schools. Nice. Uh, around that time, I also helped Glenn Langhorst, this gentleman, establish a local astronomy club called the Arrowhead Astronomical Association, uh, an astronomy club that it, is still very active today. Oh, fantastic. One of the early members of that group was a person our listeners may have heard of, Bob King. He was a very influential on my observational astronomy skills. He is known as Astro Bob, and he has columns in Sky and Telescope right. magazine the last few years. Right. Very good. Quite an, quite an astronomer. So I feel really lucky to have known those two growing up a uh, little later in life. I moved to Mississippi and there was another gentleman that I met. His name was James Hill. He ran an observatory in French camp, Mississippi, which is kind of in the middle of the state and out in the, out in the Tuleys. And he had an observatory there called rainwater observatory. And it's still there, and it's uh, he really was a promoter of astronomy outreach, and he was a lot of fun to know. He's That's still going fun. strong right now. He's a professor of astronomy up at Ole Miss. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, you never forget the people that really influenced you uh, when you start off in this endeavor. Because you, oh, you, yeah. you, you really can't do it on your own. You always need someone to mentor you along the way. Yeah, that's, a, that's what. Oh that, no, if you, it would be a tough, tough thing to do on your own, to say the least. Yeah, and the astronomy clubs are especially. I know one of your questions way. was about. Yeah, one of your questions was about um, advice for new astronomers, that sort of thing, and it's mm -hmm. definitely find someone else and to to help you along. That's true. It's a tough one to do alone. That's true. Well, you're, you're a recent addition to the. Um, to the staff of the Alpo as a lunar coordinator. Right. And so saying that, I imagine you've got a very strong interest in the moon. Yes, of course. Yeah. I always have had a real strong interest in lunar. Why, why is that? Well, in college, my, one of my strong concentrations was geology. I've always liked that branch of science. You go out with just a very modest telescope and look at the moon and you see all sorts of geology, mm -hmm. much more than you can see in any place else in our universe outside of the earth. And it's just fascinating. And 
the light is always changing. There's always something new to see. And you see things that no spacecraft has seen before because of the way the light is hitting it. That's true. That's true. Now, are you a observational astronomer or are you, are you an imager? Both. Both? Okay. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm torn, actually. I, imaging is coming easier for me now, so I do more of that. But I sure like the, the going out with the telescope and just observing. That, that's really pleasurable. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's put the first thing you put in your telescope and you take it out at night is an eyepiece, not a camera, right? <laughs> oh, oh, of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So joining the, even, even if nothing else to see what the condition is. That's true. Yeah. So the the lunar section has a long, long history. Can you talk to us a little bit about it and the different observing sections it has within? Oh goodness, yes. One second here. Yeah, the ALPO, of course, is the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. So lunar is a big part of it. Started back in the 1940s with Haas. And uh, in nine, where I picked up the, the story of the best was in 1997, William Dembowski. Mm -hmm. He started a newsletter called The Lunar Observer. And he was with something called the American Lunar Society, which, to my knowledge, folded around not too long after that. But his newsletter was this quaint two-page newsletter. It's now hundreds of, over 100 pages. <laughs> but it was taken over by Wayne Bailey in 2008, I believe. Right. And Wayne Bailey was the editor of the Lunar Observer until 2019 when I became the coordinator of the ELPO Lunar Topographic Section. Okay, so you're you're now the editor of the Lunar Observer. Pardon me? You're now the editor? I'm now the editor of the Lunar Observer. Right. All... Oh, and, yes. And talk, talk about that, that publication because it's really well done. Well, thank you. <laughs> like I say it, it had a history of over 20 years old. And uh, when I took over the position, my biggest fear was, well, what if people don't submit stuff to, to the <laughs> publication? What do I do? I mean, I can only say, you know, this is Tycho so many ways or something <laughs> to that effect. And lo and behold, I have not had that worry at all. I, I've, Yet, like last month, I had 28 observers all over the world contributing. Wow. And from 10 different countries, in fact, and 146 observations, I think I recorded. That was just last month. I pulled up the most recent month. So it's uh, it keeps me on my toes. Yeah, and it's, it's a free publication, right? You don't need to subscribe to it? Yes. That, that's amazing. So you it's You don't? Subscribe to it. it. Yeah, I agree. It is on the Elpo Lunar Images Gallery website. You anyone can download it for free, mm -hmm. and it uh, also is put on cloudynights.com. Right. Where it some people download it. We I've seen as many as nine hundred uh, looks at it per month. So that's that's fantastic. Good. That's great. 
Yeah, it's 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 a really good publication, and I will put a link to it. Uh, those interested listeners that want to download copies of it, I'll put a link in the show notes, so it'd be easy to get to that way as well. Now, now you mentioned the lunar topographical studies. What what is that group? Uh, the lunar topographic studies and selected areas program. It collects lunar observers or observations for upload into that gallery. Um, most of the observations, not all of them, are put into that ELPO new lunar newsletter, the lunar observer. Mm-hmm. The selected areas part of that program highlights some of the major lunar craters like Tycho and Copernicus and a few others with really detailed maps, which encourages observers to study like, hey, how much can I see in Tycho? Can I see this feature here? That sort of thing. And that is my my realm of work is working with those things. But also with it, we had a assistant coordinator, Jerry Hubble, mm-hmm. who recently left us to become <laughs> the coordinator of the Elpo Exoplanet section, which yes. just, you know, that just sounds cool. It does sound um, cool. But he, <laughs> it is not, he, uh, uh, a good associate of mine, Alberto Anazidio. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Alberto, about this pronunciation. Yeah, he's been on the podcast He's too. in Argentina. Okay. He is from Argentina. He helps with the focus on section of the lunar observer. And what this does is it encourages observers to study certain targets on the moon. These targets have in the past have select have been certain craters, the six Apollo landing site areas, certain features like domes and rills and mountains and such. And for the last year, the focus on, which is bi-monthly, has been about the Lunar 100, mm-hmm. which is a list of 100 lunar, lunar features compiled by Charles Wood right. back in 2004. Starts out really easy, like seeing the moon or light and dark areas on the moon that can be seen with the unaided eye, up to more challenging targets that require even a modest or a more modest telescope and correct lighting conditions. Every other month since May 2020, we've covered 10 of those 100 lunar targets. And they've proven to be immensely popular with our contributors with dozens of submissions. When I say submissions, I mean images, drawings, even paintings. Really? And articles per issue. Yeah. Huh. You know, the images speak for themselves are so sharp. But when you see those drawings or these pastels or these paintings, you know, just think of how much work somebody has done. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah, and, and the thing is, most of the objects, like you mentioned, are easily accessible to modest telescopes. So they're not, you know, you don't need these huge telescopes. Right. And that's the nice thing about the moon, too. It is so close to us. that, And there's thousands of objects on the moon that are interesting to study. So it's it's it's, sure. it's very good. And, and like you say, a modest telescope is all you need. That I keep track of telescopes in that what type we use each month. Mm-hmm. And Schmidt Cassegrain's always win. Mm-hmm. Followed very closely by Maxitoff Cassegrain telescopes. 
And the traditional reflectors and refractors are down the list quite a ways, which really? kind of surprises me. But most of the telescopes are between, say, four and eight inches. Okay. So those are, observations. those are easy to manage size telescopes for the amateur. Yes. Okay, and great. you don't have to be out in the country to use it. You could that's, use it in downtown. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing about the moon. You know, I had a street light right across the street from my home and when I was growing up. And one thing I could always depend on was the moon in the sky was easy to see with my telescope. Now, how many observers? Right. How many observers do you have on a monthly basis? Do you do you think that contributes to the section? Around thirty. Around thirty on okay. a good month. And that's worldwide. Yes. Okay. And other than yes. the lunar, other than the lunar observer, are the observations published elsewhere? There, all the observations go in the Elpo Lunar Image Gallery. Okay. So anyone, this is free for anybody. They can go to that site and look at all those lunar images. Okay. They all go there. Some of the images and articles do get submitted to the Journal of Elpo okay. for publication. That's always fun to see those in there. And some of the observers work not just with, say, Elpo, but they work for the British Astronomical Association, so we see some cross between okay. those two publications. Okay. So you're relatively new to the lunar section. Um, what do you see as the future of the section? Where would you like to see it go? More, more, <laughs> more beautiful and sharp images. Um, so send them in. But when I work on lunar images in the gallery, it's to me, it's really amazing how much newer technology has improved the image quality in, from just a few years ago. You know, a new generation of cameras comes along. Mm -hmm. We get sharper images, even when you're using the same telescope, for example. So I would expect in the not too distant future, images to be even better given the same optical equipment. That's my hope. Mm -hmm. But also we have some lunar explorations that we're just touching right now. Have you interviewed Daryl Wilson? No, I have not. Okay. He is an Alpo member. He lives in Virginia. He's recently been doing lunar imaging and infrared and doing thermal imaging. Oh my. Now he has to have a large telescope for this. He has to use a, 18-inch obsession reflector because the it basically knocks the resolution way down going in the thermal imaging. Mm -hmm. But it's a fascinating addition to lunar observing. He can see what areas of the moon hold heat and radiate heat after sunset. And with that, he can interpret how smooth or how rough the terrain is, huh. which is just fascinating. Okay. Well, I, but I also think for the future of the for the future of the session or section that as cool as all this stuff is with other wavelengths and visible light, uh, those observation observers who draw the moon and paint the moon, they really are most welcome. We have one member, his name is Robert H. Hayes Jr. He has contributed monthly drawings of lunar fit 
features since the 1990s. Wow. Huh. Yeah. That's good. Cool. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share about the lunar section? Yeah, there is. Now that you mention it, um, we have the just the lunar topographic and selected areas program, which I coordinate. I've been doing this, like you say, for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. We do have programs associated with this, such as the ELPO Lunar Banded Craters Program, where the observer will image generally image a crater like, say, Aristarchus, and look at the banded features of the crater. And there's a number of these craters. And then we have a little section that we devote to that. Okay. But besides myself for the lunar topographic and selected areas section, we have other lunar sections in ELPO. For example, ELPO has the Lunar Dome Studies mm -hmm. program that's coordinated by Ralph Lina mm -hmm. over in Rome, Italy. Ralph is a geologist. He takes a very detailed look at lunar domes. Domes are generally small hills that are likely called caused by volcanic processes, which upwelled to the lunar surface. He has a team of observers which take really detailed images of these domes, and that's necessary because of their small size. He reports these domes to the our pages of the Lunar Observer at times, mm -hmm. to the ELPO Journal, and also to the British Astronomical Association Lunar Circular. And he's actually he's working. He's working on adjusted. classifying them too, right? Coming up with classifications for the various yes. types of domes. Yeah. Yes, and he's written, written a, yeah, written a book, the whole whole thing. Yeah. Another one is that we have the Elpo Lunar Transient Phenomenon mm -hmm. Program, that's coordinated by Dr. Anthony Cook over in Wales in the UK, and this program searches for possible changes in the lunar environment. In the past, we're talking 50 plus years ago, these were strongly believed to have occurred. Now, image, now uh, observers, which are both visual and imagers, try to re repeat these historical observations to compare modern and historical observations because the moon takes about 18 and a half years to repeat the exact lighting that it had, you know, say oh, really? tonight or this Tomorrow morning, if you get up and look at the moon, it won't look that way again for 18 and a half years. I didn't know that. So, because of the just the way the tilts are and all. Right, right. So, if you see something tomorrow morning, really strange and unusual on the moon, we're not going to be able to check you out for another 18 and a half years to be sure that, hey, is, is that normal for that crater? That sort of thing to have that exact lighting. So what Dr. Cook does is he says, look at this feature at such and such time to see how it compares to this 19th century observation and such. <laughs> and with that, he does a really in-depth monthly report of these features that usually is around 10 pages. That's included both in the Lunar Observer and in the British Astronomical Association Lunar Circular. Okay. And we have one other lunar part called the ELPO Lunar Meteorotic Impact Search Program. Mm -hmm. This is coordinated by Brian Kutnick of Houston, Texas. 
Of course, this program looks for meteorite impacts on the moon using video cameras. And the best candidate for this occurred during the last last total lunar eclipse that I was able to see uh, in January, January 20th, 2019. Hmm. There was some pretty good evidence of an impact during the eclipse. Yeah, you see little bright streaks on the moon, basically, a little flash that's recorded during with not the video. A streak, not a streak. That The streak okay. is the atmosphere. Okay. You'd see a dot. A dot. Okay. And the dot would be just a fraction of a second. Right. Unless, you know, it's a really good one, but we don't. <laughs> that's true. That's true. No streaks. Very cool. Yeah. So, the, so the Elpo does have a, have a lot of lunar stuff with it. That's true. That's true. It's it's a it's a big part of the organization. So st- stepping back, um, knowing what you know now in amateur astronomy, what tips would you give someone that's just starting out? I would say first of all, be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, one should gradually build up their skills and their interests. Don't just jump right in deeply into equipment that's too expensive that not might not really be for you mm-hmm. step in gently go gently into those waters <laughs> and when you do get interested join an astronomy club in your local area join an astronomy yes. club or join some national organization like elpo or the aavso or whatever your interests lie mm-hmm. I, I found that very stimulating be social, even though we <laughs> hang out at dark in the dark. <laughs> find a group of like-minded people to share the hobby with you. And this could be like at a stargaze party where you can meet people, astronomy conferences like the Elpo conference, but someday maybe in person or so. maybe even <laughs> online or in social media where you can share observations and I think a main one is do what you can if you're starting out. Yeah. Something like we mentioned before, lunar observing can be done with a very modest telescope in full light pollution. Right. You know, it, it's fun to have those dark moonless nights for searching for galaxies, but don't use the moon as an excuse not to observe. Here, here. Which I hear too often. Yes, so do I. Yeah, it's it's that in outside of observing the moon, I think new observers need to temper their expectations and looking at other objects because you have all these beautiful photographs oh, of yes. of the planets and deep sky objects, and they expect to, they'll look like that through the eyepiece, and they don't. They don't, and it, it takes time to right. to train yourself to see detail through the eyepiece as well. That's good. So I, how, I wish new observers would learn learn the sky. Yeah. You know, with all the go-to telescopes mm-hmm. nowadays, you don't learn the sky as well. And that can cause issues too with your with your patience. Yeah. Remember setting circles? <laughs> yeah. <You don't> have- <laughs> yeah, I I do. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So astronomy books. I do have that some. Dates us. Yeah, it does. Do you have Do you have some astronomy books that you have now that you've always referred to? And what What are some of the astronomy books that you really enjoy? 
Oh, goodness, there's many, many I enjoy. Uh, probably my favorite was The Stars by H.A. Ray. Mm. Do you remember that one? Yep, sure do. For Learning Constellations. That was that was a fun book. Mm-hmm. But now that I've got the position of working with the moon stuff with Alpo, the book that I use by far the most is the Rukal Lunar mm-hmm. Atlas. Mm-hmm. It is it has been worn out the past year because whenever people send me an observation, I put them in the Elpo Lunar Gallery, and that's organized by way of the Rukal Atlas, something like 77 charts. Mm-hmm. So the binding on the book is just holding on because I'm always <laughs> flipping back and forth to find where that crater is. But on the other hand, with time, I'm getting getting the book pretty well memorized there you go kind of scary <laughs> yeah 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 so do you have do you have a favorite lunar it, feature it's like the first one you'll look at just to make sure it's still there <laughs> oh goodness i hope it's still there <laughs> they they all are but there's a couple features that i like looking at because they're usually visible the straight wall, which mm-hmm. is known as Rupes Recta, mm-hmm. that's easy to see and uh, fun to look at during various lighting conditions. Mm-hmm. And right in the center of the moon, or near the center of the moon, there's the Huygens rill. Mm-hmm. And then there's other rills right by it, the Trisnecker rill. And these rills are old lava tubes on the moon. And they're very thin for their length. They're like one or two kilometers wide. Look out your window. You can see, you probably see one or two kilometers away. Mm-hmm. It's an easy walk. So from here, we can see that those little features, which I think is really cool. Hmm. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Uh, is there any other information you'd like to share about yourself or experiences you've had? I've been, I've been really honest to be a part of the Elpo Lunar Program. Uh, the lunar studies have been a lifelong long passion of mine, so I'm really glad I'm able to do it. Good. Well, we're, we're, we're glad to have you on board on the staff. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you. And, thank you. And you will probably Send be... Send those lunar observations <laughs> in, guys. And you'll probably be presenting a paper at our upcoming conference this August, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Something be, lunar, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. That's going to, that's good for our listeners. That's going to be a virtual conference on zoom. Uh, and probably a podcast, the probably the podcast after this one that gets released is going to be a discussion about the conference and how you can get more information on it. So look for that one to drop in your mailbox as well. Well, David, how can everybody get a, get a hold of you if they're interested in the moon? Uh, email me at David dot teske t-e-s-k-e at elpo dash astronomy dot org okay and i will also put that in the show notes as well in case people didn't write it down they'll be able to go right there and get it well david this has been a pleasure chatting with you today and i hope you have a wonderful night and well, thank uh, you tim thanks for coming on the podcast will do thanks much tim take All care right.
Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank David Teske for coming on and give us a, a very enlightening discussion about the ALPO Lunar section. Please check it out. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, I really appreciate it if you can run over there and just give us a rating and a review. It brings more people to the podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month where you will receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I'd like to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo is in the show notes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of me for topics or discussions, my email address is cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. Until next time. My hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.